Okay, I've got some sheets here um, for those listening on the CD or whatever. You're welcome as well to the first of Oasis summer schools or the first of Oasis schools. We are actually, the Lord's told me to do another one uh, in September and that will be entitled Entering In to the Power and Presence of God. So, and that will go from a Thursday, I think, to a Monday. So it's going over a weekend. I'll give you one of these sheets in a minute, but first of all, I'll, I'll just read out uh, what's on it. So today we will be looking at how the week is likely to pan out. And I'll be laying down a few principles, such as keeping mobile phones off, which I forgot to ask you just now, but I would ask you to do that, Talk and keeping talking to a minimum, except over mealtimes. And I want to start with an excerpt from John Eldridge's book, Waking the Dead. He describes evaluation of degrees of consciousness thus. The highest level known as alert and oriented times, times four describes almost everyone in an everyday situation. They know who they are, where they are, and what time it is, and what's just happened. If someone suffers a blow to the head, the first thing they lose is recent events. Alert and oriented times three. The last thing they lose is their identity. A person who has lost all levels of consciousness right down to their identity is said to be alert and oriented times zero. The point he goes on to make is that most of the time we are alert and oriented times zero. We live our lives at such a low ebb, a low level, that it is often merely an existence, hoping for heaven someday, but just getting by while we're here. The question is, is that what Jesus came to give us? John 10.10 said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Bob Mumford would say, the glory of God is man alive and free. Two different things. How would you rate yourself this morning? Alive and oriented times four or alive and oriented times zero, or somewhere in between. Are you alive and free? We'll have a look a bit later on, I expect, in the week about uh, what it means to be actually alive and free, and what bondages there are that uh, we don't recognise that as bondages at all. Anything that has us is a bondage. If we don't have it, it has us, it's a bondage. Each morning we will start with a meditation, as I've already said, on an aspect of God, his immutability, omniscience, omnipotence, etc. And I'd ask you to begin your day with this meditation. Do it before you come, so that you come fully awake and oriented times four. So the next thing I'd like to read out to you, there's a lot of, a lot of this um, things that I just want to read to you that you can take and look at if it's catching your eye um, so that you, you can just use it during the course of the week to meditate on. God will bring up what he wants you to see. This one's called a son. My child, you are mine. I call you this day into sonship and every day to take up your position in my family. You are my son, and in you I do delight. I have set my love upon you. 
Yes, my plans, my ambitions, my love. Think you that I said to my own beloved son, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. This is true, I said it of him and of every son since. Take up your sonship daily. Daily shall you enter into your place. Did I not say, Bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet? Did the son do anything to merit his sonship? Was he a worthy son? Yet I set my love upon him and wooed him to myself. Come then, take your place, the offered garment, even the robe of rejoicing and delight. Take the ring of union with me and display it, delight in it. Let me wash your feet, then take the offered sandals and walk through this day as a king's son. Your feet will become soiled and I have made provision for this, but keep your heart with all diligence. Be a son, ask as a son, reign as a son, rejoice as a son, move freely as a son should. Reminded me so much of Graham's recent prophetic word about walking into everything that God's got. Rejoice even as my heart rejoices in you. The past is forgotten and behind you. The day is yours. Go forth. Bear the radiance of the divine in your countenance. See, I have stripped from you the robe of rags. I have put on you the robe of my righteousness, the beautiful garments that shall be the envy of all that see them. Even as Joseph's coat aroused in others envy, so shall others want to know the Lord your God. Rejoice, O oh rejoice, in your welcome, in your position, in your forgiveness, in the joy of your Father and in the joy of the angels, for he gives you richly all things to enjoy. Rejoice, again I say, rejoice. Okay, the next thing is, some of you have heard this, um, when we were at the first, I think it was the first Women of Destiny conference, and it's called Lord I Have Time, a profound little bit of uh, semi-poetry. I went out, Lord, men were coming out, they were coming and going, Lord, walking and running, everything was rushing, cars, lorries, the street, the whole town. Men were rushing not to waste time, they were rushing after time to catch up with time, to gain time. Goodbye, sir. Excuse me, I'll come back. I can't wait. I haven't time. Must end this letter, but I haven't time. I'd love to help you, but I haven't time. Can't accept. Having no time. Can't think. Can't read. I'm swamped. Haven't time. I'd like to pray, but I haven't time. You understand, Lord. They simply haven't the time. The child is playing. He hasn't time right now. Later on. The schoolboy has his homework to do. He hasn't the time. Later on. The student has his courses and so much work, he hasn't time. Later on, the young married man has his new house, he has to fix it up, he hasn't time. Later on, the grandparents have their grandchildren, they haven't time. Later on, they are ill, they have their treatments, they haven't time. Later on, they're dying, they have no, too late, they have no more time. And so all men run after time, Lord. They pass through life, running, hurried, jostled, overburdened, frantic, and they never get there. In spite of all their efforts, they are still short of time. Lord, you must have made a mistake in your calculations. There's a big mistake somewhere. The hours are too short and our lives are too short. You who are beyond time, Lord, you see, you smile to see us fighting it. 
You know what you're doing. You make no mistakes in your distribution of time to man. You give each one time to do what you want him to do. But we, mu we mustn't lose time, waste time, kill time, spend time. For time is a gift that you give us, but a perishable gift, a gift that doesn't keep, Lord. Lord, I have time. I have plenty of time. All the time you give me, the years of my life, the days of my life, the hours of my days, they're all mine, mine to fill, quietly, calmly, but to fill up completely to the brim, to offer them to you, that of their insipid water you may make a rich wine, such as you once made in Cana of Galilee. I'm not asking you today, Lord, for time to do this and then that, but your grace to do conscientiously in the time you give me what you want me to do. When I was uh, reading that out, I, I really, I don't know if I'm the only person with such an urgency about time. I just have such a sense that we cannot waste any more time. It's just so excruciatingly short, <laughs> the time. It's just incredible, the, the sense that I get that we cannot play around any longer. Particularly, we can't play at church. And I know I'm giving you an awful lot of bits and pieces right now, but it will all make sense as we go along. I've just got from uh, Graham Cook's... Um, lady over there uh, just a feedback from him from uh, Oregon where he's just been speaking just in June um, and it really jumped out to, to, at me what he was saying we get one life to live this is not a dress rehearsal let's go for the real thing every day to be fully committed to life, we need to understand the incredible engagement that the Father seeks to have with our heart. Never underestimate the power of passion to change, move and overcome all things. God has a passion for us that will overcome all obstacles. There is a life waiting that needs to be fully explored. He talked too about the fact that he took four sessions at the conference and on the first evening he covered what for him was becoming an increasingly important subject. That was the nature of God. And that's, I was so thrilled to see that because that's what I felt God was saying to me. Need to meditate on who I am, on the aspects of my character because his people do not know him. And we need to meditate, think about deeply uh, the Aspects of His Character is a very good book here that's probably still in print, The Knowledge of the Holy. We had them at, I think, one of the early Baton um, meetings, and it's absolutely incredible. It talks about the immutability, the infinitude of God, the eternality of God, the self-sufficiency of God, the self-existence of God. It talks about all these things. you just got to get it in who He is. Another book I would recommend is, a, is another A.W. Tozer, is The Pursuit of God. This one will crease you up completely, I can promise you that. And the other thing that God is talking about, I believe, at this time, and again, Graham speaks of it, is the kingdom. He's not speaking about church. Church arises out of kingdom, but we don't have much of a kingdom ethos in the church. 
So we need to go up a level and start looking at things from the kingdom point of view. And the kingdom, he says, overwhelms us with the positive, passionate, fully supportive life of the Father. Then he goes on to say that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. And later in the week, those who are here as um, residential guests, I've already put a certificate on their, on their uh, beds there. Uh, but I, there is a little, little poem thing about being ambassadors of reconciliation. So it was absolutely brilliant for me to see that the three are emphases that God had given me, which was himself, the kingdom, and the ambassadors of reconciliation, should be the three that were mentioned in Graham's um, latest thing. Uh, I'll just read the last session. For the final session of the conference, I planned to do some call-out ministry. I enjoyed the experience of preparing my heart in prayer, but imagine my surprise when 20 minutes before the meeting, the father gave me a different assignment. This one was to attack the whole issue of Christians having a cerebral relationship with God rather than living from the heart. Christians who are purely mental in their approach to God often prize logic, reason and rational thinking above trust, faith, sensitivity and obedience. When we have a mental relationship only with God, it's hard to hear him, please him, or be obedient. Logic will always talk us out of the response of faith. God is not logical or rational. He is intuitive and imaginative. He lives by faith and expects the same from us. If you move out in the ministry that I'm in, you will very quickly find that logic has got no place. He will show you the most off-the-wall things and you learn to go with that thing that it seems absolutely... I, I call it uh, flying by the seat of my pants and I say, I'll just take a flyer on this. If I'm wrong, that's fine. But if I'm right, if I'm hearing what he's saying, then we're going to get right into what the problem is. So that is, is uh, the intuitive. Um, and women are usually more intuitive than men. When we have a logic-only relationship with God, it's always intimacy, trust and faith that are a casualty. Trust and faith are underpinned by thanksgiving, rejoicing and a celebratory lifestyle. Logical people seldom engage in worship easily. They have to deliberately access their heart before the Holy Spirit. And that's something you've got to teach them as well, is to actually access their heart. Uh, because we can be like wooden tops, can't we, really? Just sort of sitting there thinking, I don't understand. Um, for the Wednesday group, I suggested that they started a thank you book. It's one of Graham's suggestions, of course. I've got a little notebook upstairs that uh, I, I just write down things to thank God for. Find something every day. Write it in your little notebook. When you can't think of something to thank him for, you can go back to your little notebook and go through the bits you've already thanked him for. And you'll end up hearing yourself saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because you become a thankful per people. The most recent thing that I have really thanked the Lord for is for giving me life, for creating me, and for calling me. Because you suddenly realize that I wouldn't exist unless he had decided before the foundation of the earth he was going to create me. And for me, that is enough cause for thanksgiving 
from here till we get there, really. Because he has given me the opportunity to have a life, to know him, the most precious gifts. Uh, it's almost as though he's, he's, he's unveiling um, the eternality of the promises, of the eternality of his desires for us, his purposes for us. He hasn't just dreamed them up when we were in our mum's tongue. He didn't just suddenly think, oh, I wonder what I'll do with Lola then. He had a plan from before the foundation of the earth for us. He says it, and he did. It's true. Logic and reason, Graham says, have their place, but it's after the event, not before. Up front, we require intuition, intimacy and trust to align ourselves with God's requirement for obedience. Reason is good for processing what has occurred, but not for initiating an event. I'll just read this because it will cheer you up. There was a great deal of resistance in the auditorium to the message. I developed a terrible headache and nausea. Sure sign of a spiritual presence. It just became a matter of pressing in and standing ground. Hundreds of people came forward for prayer. There was a powerful repentance and a deep release through the prophetic word into a place of intimacy. And the brilliant sentence is the last one because some years ago God had me do a um, review of my journal for the year. And I came to the the conclusion that the heart of the issue was the issue of the heart. That was the whole thing as I read through my journal for a year. And he says, he actually said, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, but I changed it because it's the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. So it's absolutely incredible <coughs> that the prophetic will be singing from the same hymn sheet, if you like, which gives me a great deal of confidence that that is what is happening. So, we're going to listen in a moment to just a fragment of one of Graham's um, soaking CDs. And you will find, I think, that a lot of things will jump out of just this one track. Um, it is the nature of God towards you, and it is vital that we understand and commit to the desire of God for our own lives. In other words, as he initiates, we respond to what he's actually saying to us. We were built that way. Heard something brilliant. Sometimes you only just have to hear the first few words, don't you? Um, there were two comments this man made. One was about resonating with God, you know, just bouncing off of him. And the other thing he said was, never submit yourself to a leadership that doesn't have a greater vision for your life than you have for your own. Mm. I thought, that is really interesting. Mm. And I think that's probably the essence of the change that is coming in the church, that leadership will actually be doing what they were meant to do in the first place, which is bringing the best out of the sheep mm. and bringing the sheep into their own destinies not uh, building an empire for themselves. I thought that I really got to think about that. Don't submit yourself to a leadership that does not have a greater vision for your life than you have for your own. So that means when I look at Sarah, I'm looking at her going, sky's the limit. <laughs> 
she may look in at herself as thinking, well, I can manage that. But I'm looking at what she can't manage, but what she can do in God. Because he's spoken it over her life. So my, my place will be to encourage her, lead her, develop her so that she comes into the higher place, the enlargement, everything that God's got for her. And at the moment, as I'm thinking about it, uh, that would necessitate small group work, not a church of 200. If you're pastoring a, f a few sheep, you're going to be able to bring the best out of them. If you've got a, a, a group of 200, 300 people, you're never going to be able to do that. You've got to break it down into... Do you remember the uh, those of you who were there on Saturday, that lovely banner um, that um, Kathy Stewart brought the photograph of? And there was the... the the Lord in the front, there was this, uh, for those of you who didn't see it, it's about eight foot long, this, this banner, made of silk and painted on that. And one woman had had the vision, the other lady made the banner, as she told the, the one the, what the vision was. It's taken three years to make it. And the first thing on the left-hand side was this huge white horse's head. But coming out of its nostrils and going right the way along the bottom of the uh, whole banner were flames. And she says, you couldn't see the Lord because he was just in light. But behind that were groups of 50s. I thought, that is very interesting. Not groups of hundreds of thousands, but groups of 50. I think there's a significance here in what God is doing in these days. You know, it's like we've almost bitten off more than we can chew in church. And so we've not actually developed anything in anybody because you go to the lowest common denominator so you move at the pace of the slowest in like you do in a class unless you pull out those that are gonna you know it's really interesting anyway that's completely by the way so um that was our first little taster of that soaking cd of grams that's just one of them um uh, the other one i've got for, for later on which is somewhat longer um but he says in it, uh, when you hear something that actually catches your attention, stop the CD. Well, that's fine if it's just you listening to it on your own. But when you've got a group of people, I'll have them sticking their hands up and say, excuse me, I need to stop at that point. Uh, but it gives you, you, you can switch off and, and meditate on whatever God is bringing to your mind. Um, so first of all, just to, to sort of... Um, give you an, uh, a bit more of an outline. The first thing on the agenda um, was, like today, is about keys to possessing the land. And the headings that I gave it were uh, whole or half-hearted, winning the internal battle, and spiritual warfare. Um, I don't know whether we'll get any of that anywhere. <laughs> because uh, I've just got some sort of notes that I'll, I'll go with the flow, as it were. But essentially today we're supposed to be looking at keys to possessing the land. And the scripture we will mainly be using is Matthew 6.33, which is seek first and only the kingdom of God, which is his reign and rule in your heart and life. And all, not some, of the things that the Gentiles seek will be added to you. <clears throat> we will be looking at our goal, where we are ultimately headed. Anyone who horse rides will know that you keep your eye on where you want to go, not where the horse is trying to take you. Do you remember that? So, 
you want to be jumping over that fence there so you're not looking here you're looking there horse is going that way but you're looking there because that's where you're going to actually take him so you're going to keep your eye on the goal and though you might not be right in direction that's where you're actually headed and the kingdom and his righteousness is your goal it's been imputed to you his righteousness and what does that mean it means it's already yours so how do you live in it and what really is kingdom living Reese Howell's son was asked what it was that his father had and he answered that this was a little story in a book that I read uh, he was having tea with some people who went to see him to find out what Reese Howells had that made him so powerful with God uh, the book is Reese Howells' Intercessor, but it's not quoted in that. But the book about Reese Howells is that. And he just said to them, Morty. So the lady went across on her knees and looked up into his face and said, I don't remember what his name is. What was your father's secret? What was it? And a tear just trickled down and he answered, The Lord's servant was possessed by God. So maybe today, or in the next few days, you may decide that you want to be possessed by God. To come into all that he has for us requires prior engagement of heart. We will be making decisions this week which will affect us for eternity. Do you really want a life less ordinary? To see God move mightily in and through you? There is a cost. It's just everything. But the reward is everything. Everything Jesus inherits is our inheritance, but it isn't automatic. So allow yourself to rethink your priorities. What drives you? What are you living for? The next holiday? The next car? What possesses you? Is it the Holy Spirit or your own desires? Are your desires his desires? I found myself prophesying over a couple of people recently, particularly a lady that came back into her life after 10 years. She'd been laid aside for 10 years. Uh, when we met her, had a little suspicion that maybe what she was doing was what she enjoyed to do, and so she was tripping about all over the place. Uh, and she said God had just brought her in, reined her in. She was ready to go back to Uganda, was it? She went, left a suitcase over there ten years ago, never went back for it. And when I came and just put my hand on her, I felt prophetic <coughs> words during up. And the first thing I heard myself saying was, in the past, he's walked with you where you've gone. And he's blessed what you're doing and followed your agenda. But now he calls you to walk with him in bridal partnership which is completely different it is there where we learn uh, to hear what he's calling us into and respond to that rather than initiate ideas ourselves so the question is are your desires his desires or are his desires your desires the thing I handed out first go off about the bride his desires become her desires. This is all about the Song of Songs. She starts off 
in faltering love and ends up in mature love, in bridal partnership, leaning on him coming up out of the wilderness. And the process that she has been through has been to strip her of everything. Someone, uh, some of you know this, had a picture of me years ago. She said, you went through one of Granny's old mangles, fully dressed. You just shoved through head first, this mangle, in, out the other side, in a complete white robe and just hands in the air. But it was the squeezing process going through the mangle that I didn't fancy. Every now and again you get put through the mangle and you out the other side. Or like anybody who's horse, been horse riding, here's the fence, you're making for it. A duck out, go round it. So you take him round again and you put him at the fence. Stops this time, you go straight over the top. Okay, still going to do it. Round you go again. This time you get him over it. It's the same process with God. He's going to get you over that fence. You can duck out, you can stop, you can try to chuck him off, but he's going to put you through it. The only thing that will stop you doing that is if you continually give him a no, because eventually he actually will leave you alone and let you have what you want, which is the sad disposition to come to, I think. I don't know how long he goes on, uh, but in these days I think that the time is getting shorter. Uh, it's getting shorter so that that doesn't mean that you won't have your struggles spoke to someone this morning she said I'm fighting against my flesh so much it wants to go out partying I said well tell it it can't dear that's all there is to it but she's having a real battle which is what this is all about regaining your inner territory against her old nature that wants to do all the things that she knows she mustn't do and can't do anyway she's got two little ones it's amazing what pushes to the surface the moment you tell it you can't have it. So the whole purpose of this week is what Joyce Mayer's um, new magazine is, connecting with him at a new level, to come to a deeper level of surrender and abandonment, higher, deeper, further into the heart of the one who loves you with all his heart. And I would venture to say that we don't need a new word, we need a now word. So listen with the ears of your heart to the now word for, from God for you this week. This is individual, it's not corporate. Each with his own now word coming together will make the whole. A.W. Tozer said, and I shall probably quote it again, and I make no apologies for repeating myself, because I find that it is something that good teachers have to do. They just have to keep saying it till the, till the children hear it. And he said... I think it was a hundred harps tuned to the same tuning fork when they come together will make the most glorious noise. So each one of us has to tune ourselves to the same tuning fork, the tuning fork of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise when we come together, if we're tuned to anything else, it won't be a harmonious sound, it'll be a cacophony. I'm going to give you a break in a minute. So. This week really is about changing the way we do things. Changing the way we think about our times with God. Being creating and doing creative and doing things differently when we're with him. So my suggestion is, and it is only a suggestion, because you, you need to hear from him what agenda he wants. 
is that you should soak. Is that car just come? No. Before you do anything in the morning and in the evening. And last thing, before you go to sleep. And let him lead you into prayer and meditation. So the first thing is soak. You'll hear Graham say, before you do anything else, soak. And then meditate on who he is. Let him lead you into prayer and meditation and slow down. Practice stillness. Practice listening. And there are, these are disciplines and we don't like the D word, do we? Speak in tongues regularly every day. Try starting with 10 minutes in the morning. Uh, there's a brilliant book by Campbell McAlpine on meditating on the scriptures. Absolutely brilliant. And he takes you through how to meditate on scripture. That is a brilliant thing. You ask the Lord what book he wants you to read. You read until something hits you. I spent three months in the first chapter of Joshua once, just on, the, on a few verses in the first chapter. Set yourself to read through the Bible in a year. Those of you who know me well, this is one of my drums I bang. You can get a Bible reading plan. Often Bibles have got it in the front. So go through it in a year. That is as well as meditating um, and studying. If you have time, study something in the Bible. Journaling is an absolute imperative because if you don't put down what your conversation has been with him in the morning you will not remember it you think you will I have like dreams and think I'll remember them and I don't so I have to get up and write them down because I won't remember it otherwise then review do a regular review and do review the, the end of each day or even at lunchtime if you've got time just pop in the loo father sorry I lost my rag with the postman or the dog or whoever just keep short accounts with God. Don't leave it till you can't see through the window. I mean, these are basic things, really. But they will take you to a higher level because you will hear him, and so you'll be able to go up one. And look towards upgrading your relationship with him all the time. Upgrading your worship. Upgrading your understanding of who he is. He wants to reveal himself to you. And remember, rubbish in, rubbish out. So if when you relax, you think, I'll have the television on, just make sure that he's not saying to you, come away with me. I've had people here before now and they've just had to get up and go out because he's saying, come away with me. If he says to you during this, come away with me, go, please. Don't say, I can't, I'm listening to Beryl. Go, <laughs> because he will call you away. It's brilliant. Remember the time when I was used to be ministering in the little room and he'd say, come away with me, and I'd think, got to close the session. <laughs> got an appointment. So I'd just do it and go. Be jealous for your time with him because he's jealous for his time with you. It's about enjoying your encounters with him. It's not primarily about getting your prayers answered. Now that will happen when you align yourself with him and his purposes because he will align himself with you 
and then the sky is the limit. As you line up under him, you're in alignment with him, you will pray what is on his heart. You'll find yourself praying big prayers. The first thing that happened when I heard, not this CD, the one, the other one that I'm going to play, is m m my prayer life just shot into, out into orbit. Because hearing what God's heart is and what he wants us to be asking for takes us into a different place. Thank you. Yeah, lovely. Thank you very much. Good? Good. Right. Okay. Just going to... Uh, when Sarah listened to the soaking CD of Graham Cook the other night, some of you know she had an experience par excellence of God himself. She couldn't speak after she'd experienced this, and the following morning... She said, before she went home, I'm losing it already. So I said, well, ask the Lord to bring it back. But the following morning, he did something different. And so I'm going to read out to you uh, what he said to her. He gave her a word. My beloved treasure, you saw my Shekinah glory. You felt my spirit pour into yours. The scales were lifted from your eyes. You asked to see me, and you saw I gave you a glimpse of me, of my love for you, of my safe place. I gave you insight to where I live. You felt the purity, the holiness, and my house, the kingdom of God. Now you know why earthly things cannot be mixed with heavenly things, why holiness cannot be tainted by unclean things. They are worlds apart. My hand will not allow you to be defiled by lowly things that bear no fruit. There is no comparison between what I have for you and the things you think you need. I want you to know me, of how my plans are, are for you are only for your good. Don't settle for what the flesh offers you when I have so much more, more than you can imagine. Now your spirit has seen me. Allow yourself to trust in me. Give yourself to me and I will show you a life not many have travelled. Have no thoughts of yourself, and I will take you places in your heart that nothing in this world can. The I Am is here, and will never leave you. Rejoice in my name, O heavenly child. Be at peace, and know that I have begun a great work in you, and I intend to finish it. My rest will bring you great joy and happiness. So rest, my child. You cannot win your own battles. Am I not big enough? I will teach you and I will show you everything you need to know. I will take you from glory to glory. I will show you the time and the place for the work I have assigned and planned for you. Now you have some idea of my power. Rest and allow me to work through you. Give me what I ask. Do not be afraid, for I would not have called you out of darkness to abandon you. Lift up your eyes to me, O child, and all will be given to you. Believe, believe, believe. It's time to change. It's time to run the race. It's time to decide to go forward. Take the baton with a single mind. I am with you and I am for you. The kingdom work is ahead and my army is putting on its battle dress. Get ready, my child, for my hand is upon you. 
and I will deliver you through every situation by glorifying my name. I love you, I love you, I love you. Fill your heart with songs of praise, and know on this day the heavens were opened and poured out on you. Bless you, my child. Very profound uh, word that she had there, and one that she needed to respond to. She can't just walk away as if that one hasn't happened. <laughs> and I feel it's for all of us, really. I mean, it's so obviously what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's time to change. It's time to run the race. It's time to decide to go forward. Take the baton with a single mind. My kingdom work is ahead. And my army is putting on its battle dress. And those of you who were there on Saturday know that really that was a lot of the thrust of even though we were teaching on Revelation, it was a thrust, was get ready. Uh, because the time is short and we need to be, we're in an army. Uh, apart from being the bride of Christ, we are in an army. So, here we go again then. Um scriptures now I'm going to give you a number of scriptures which you can think about meditate on during the course of the day okay um, the scripture then that I want to give you first is 1 Samuel 16 1 to 7 um, which ends up fill your horn with oil then go and the purpose of this week is to fill your horn with oil uh, to learn new ways of relating to him which you can apply as I've already said daily as you journey into the heart of God uh, it's about surrendering to his lordship being possessed by God no longer two lives to be lived but one his through me through you and Paul says in Philippians for me to live is Christ to die is gain he also says it's no longer I that live but Christ that lives in me and the life I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. And this is what regaining our inner territory is all about. It's getting back the ground that the enemy has taken and possessing our inner territory with Jesus as the captain of the host. If you like another way of saying it is it's living in the spirit and not living in the flesh. Mm. Um, and that is something that we'll, we will constantly battle against, is our old nature. If we do not understand the nature of the battle, we'll have a look at it uh, later in the week. That's the battle for the soul. And it's all about inheritance. You'll hear a lot this week, if the Lord will, about kingdom and inheritance, how it's possible to lose your inheritance. You won't lose your salvation, but you can lose your inheritance. He has a plan and he has a purpose for you. Uh, and... It says in Ephesians, doesn't it, that the works that he has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Uh, we need to get into alignment with the works that he's prepared in advance. And we also urgently need to increase our knowledge of the holy. That's why that book is so good. So I'm going to give you some scriptures now. The first one is John 17, 3. And that says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is the whole nub of it. And Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. Very, very interesting scripture. 
won't open it up too much now, but it's really very interesting. Got my new Bible, meant to bring the old one down, I don't think I did. My son, hear the words that actually jump out here. If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, incline your ear to wisdom that means get right down humble yourself and listen closely and apply your heart to understanding something you've got to do when you've listened to it you've got to apply it yes if you cry out for discernment you're really wanting this and lift up your voice for understanding if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. By doing all those things, you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Running alongside the love message that is coming through right now is also the holiness of God. Mm. And the fear of the Lord is something I believe that is almost completely missing in the church today. The fear they have is completely wrong. They either see him as a God with a big stick or they see him as a, a sloppy agape, a father who will allow everything and anything. People will say to me, grace covers everything. No, grace is not a liberty to sin. Sin is still sin. It's missing the mark. God is still exactly the same. You cannot use grace as a reason and the liberty to sin. The whole counsel of God must be taken, not just a part of it. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what Proverbs tells us. He says in verse 5, You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I love the Lord with all my heart, but only because I have received the love that he gives to me so that I can give it back. It's not something that's initiating out of my emotions. People will say to me, oh, I love the Lord. And I'm thinking, it's coming from your soul, sweetheart. Because I measure your love of him by your obedience. And he measures love by obedience. If you love me, you will obey. Our, our love is shown by the extent that we obey. I have a holy fear of God as well. I walk in the other part of it is in fear and trembling. Not because I think he's going to wallop me, but because he's big. He's awesome. He's an awesome God. This awesome God. It's awesome. It's also my loving father, my um, betrothed. I was going to say, some of you know him as father. Some of you know him as Jesus the bridegroom some of you know the Holy Spirit some of you maybe don't major on any of that any of those three but God will be speaking to you about a particular aspect of who he is the thrust at the moment is the father heart of God and Ruth said to me quite rightly that unless you have the father heart you can't know him as bridegroom and when you know him as bridegroom, then you begin to come into relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then you're finding it going across all three. You know the father is the father, your bridegroom is your bridegroom. Can't wait, I'm going to a wedding. And then the Holy Spirit as your comforter. He's your personal trainer. 
there are three relationships there with the Godhead that are to be developed and he will show you which one he wants you to start on. So it's, it's totally individual. So that's Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. These are for you to think about when you have your time later on today. Then Philippians 3, verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. <coughs> Daniel eleven thirty two and 33. Diving about a bit. And it's uh, da Daniel eleven thirty two b and 33a as they used to say in the old King James. That verse 32 but the people who know their God it's all about knowing him shall be strong and do exploits I want to do some of those do you and those of the people who understand shall instruct many so there's a, those are the bits I wanted to pull out of that Proverbs 3 5 and 6 which you will know off by heart trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Something you need to say every day. Another thing you need to do every day is Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You put yourself on the altar every day. It's your reasonable service. A reasonable act of worship, some of them say. 1 Timothy 4.15 Lots of scriptures. God will make one of them jump out to you, I'm sure. Timothy, Timothy. And verse 15. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Interesting that, isn't it? Think about that for a minute. Give yourself and think about them. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Jeremiah nine twenty three and 24. As I say, the Lord will pull out the one that he wants you to be looking at and he will speak to you through the one he wants to speak to you through. brings us down to size thus says the Lord let not the wise man glory in his wisdom not the mighty man glory in his might nor let the rich man glory in his riches but let him who glories glory in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness judgment and righteousness in the earth for in these I delight says the Lord so there you've got three elements loving-kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. And the last one is Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2, which you'll be familiar with. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The amplified version is very good on this one. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. That's the time we are in now. 
and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Verse 3 is nice too. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. These things are realities. They're not just words on a page. They're becoming living words. As I said, we don't need a new word. We need a now word. Uh, in the middle of the 19th century, a noted French scientist, I don't know quite know how to pronounce his name, but I'll have a go, Pierre Berchelt, stated his belief that within a hundred years, scientists would have discovered the secret of the atom. He went on to suggest that such a breakthrough would herald the age in which God would say to the world, Gentlemen, it is closing time. And I firmly believe, as I keep saying, we're very close to hearing him say, Gentlemen, it is closing time. As those of you were here on Saturday, I feel the Lord is saying we stand on the consummation of the end of the church age. We are, we are at the end of everything. Jesus could come for us at any time, uh, but we want to be ready. It's the wise and the foolish virgins. We have got to get ready. There was that picture that uh, Joyce Sibthorpe had, and a number of people had, of uh, she was halfway up a cliff, and that the people were playing on the sand, and the waves were lovely and gentle, and one thing and another, but she could see further out to sea, a huge tsunami type thing. And she started to shout to the people down there who were playing about on the edge of the water. And she's saying, come up higher, come up higher. And they, oh, no, no, don't worry, you know, it's nothing to worry about. One or two did. But, of course, then the wave came in. Uh, we do not want to be in the path of the wave that's coming, do we? Um, two more scriptures, Joel 2, 1 and 2. No moan. Well, I'll put down here now. Had a good time with this. Just wait for me while I find Joel in my <laughs> Bible. This one's pages stick together. Here we go. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be uh, any such after them for even many successive generations. End time stuff. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. I can't speak without bringing these sort of scriptures in. It's just pushed on me to say about the shortness of the hour. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, brilliant. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Because the, Thess the people of Thessalonica were thinking that it, the day of the Lord had already come and they were getting the wind up. 